good morning. Welcome to Life Church on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you men. And uh, good news and the bad news is, the good news is we're giving away a grill and we prayed for you. The, the bad news is, which may be good news, is I'm not going to beat you over the head for being a lousy dad today. How about that? Is that good? Typical Father's Day's message is you guys need to love more, be more kind, be more compassionate. I think you need to go play golf today. Come, you, come on, guys. I'm giving you a little more. Thank you right there. Just enjoy your day. Good. We're in our series on flannel graph Jesus, and we're kind of walking through the parables of Christ this summer. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to get there in just a minute. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, on the back side of your bulletin, there's some space to take notes. And this weekend, we're not really doing fill in the blanks because I think I'm going to give you some information. And, um, and I really what I want you to do is as you go through this uh, message today, whatever really sticks out to you, resonates with you, God kind of speaks to you, just write that down. And, and I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean that in a real uh, true sense of the, of the word that... Uh, when we hear the teaching of God's word, there are things that will kind of resonate that kind of goes, wow, I need to work on that, or wow, that's really good, or you know what, that's a great thought I really need to kind of download and marinate on. So just use that space to do that. Um, We're talking this weekend about how to storm-proof your life. And in thinking about that, this past week has probably been a pretty good setup for that with all the storms that have happened through our area of the country. And I grew up in what they call Tornado Alley, which is Oklahoma, Kansas, southern Missouri, northwest Arkansas. And uh, so duck and cover and the tornado drills at the school and all the films in the springtime in March where we grew up, it's when you started getting the hot fronts that would come through and the cold fronts would collide and the rains would come down and the tornadoes would go. And this is pre-Doppler radar days when I was a kid. And across the street from our house, the Rainey family lived. And uh, Grady and Pat Rainey. And Pat was deathly afraid of storms. I mean, anytime there was a storm, I mean, she would just, you know, freak out. And, and so she had Grady build a storm cellar in her front yard, six steps from the front door, no lie. Uh, it was about four feet off the ground, huge. It was a block, went all the way down into the ground, uh, uh, cinder block walls, uh, had a huge uh, dome that was all made of concrete. How decorative is that? Right in the front yard, had a big pole that, you know, railing that went right down into it. You'd open it up, had a little whirly birds on the top so it would let out any kind of fumes or exhaust that needed to be so it could breathe. And, and Pat, I think, spent half of her spring times in that cellar. And any time there was a storm, she was there. And, and you have to understand, in the South, we don't really build, um, you don't really build basements because it's just kind of slab on gray because the frost line is just inches below the surface. And so houses aren't built with basements, and so you don't really have a place to go to. So they built storm cellars. Uh, today they build what they call safe houses, which are uh, tilt-up uh, concrete walls that are still reinforced in the center of the house. I, I know that's crazy. My parents just built a home, and they have this safe house in the middle of the house. And so, um, because when storms come through or tornadoes come through, that's supposed to withstand. Everything else can be blown away, but that little 10 by 10 room is going to withstand whatever the storms are. But pre those days were these storm cellars. But most people that had storms ought to put them in the backyard because they didn't really want anybody to see it, buried underground as best they could. Not Pat. It was right there in the front yard. And anytime she had her glass of iced tea in hand and she was going down to that cellar. And in that cellar, it was cool. I mean, it was like a cool fort. I mean, there was a TV, shortwave radio. I mean, she could live. It was almost like a, a bunker that would, uh, that would withstand radiation or something. I mean, it, it was unreal. And, and she was just terrified of storms. 
And it makes me think, how many people in life live life that way? How many people, when it comes to life and living, they're just totally freaked out by storms. They're just, they just totally lose it. And, and they try to, to, to do all these things to protect themselves from storms. And the reality is, is that storms are going to happen in life. And you can't keep from storms happening in life. And you can live life scared of storms or you can learn how to storm-proof your life. And that's what Jesus begins to talk about in this parable in Matthew chapter 7. Let's, let's read this. Matthew chapter 7. Verse number 24 through 27, the Bible says this. And therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. For the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. For the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Storms. They're going to happen to all of us, regardless what kind of foundation you have, regardless what kind of house you have. The the rains are going to come, the winds are going to blow, things are going to happen, and the true question is, is is your house of your life going to stand? Now, what's interesting about Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is finishing the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon told in Scripture, probably, in my opinion, the greatest sermon ever preached. And there's this chapter, Matthew chapter 7, is filled full of comparisons and contrasts, which is something Jesus would do quite often. And he begins the chapter with the, these, these comparison contrasts of the gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. The wide great gate leads to destruction. The narrow gate leads to heaven and few that find it. He goes on to talk about the good tree and the bad tree. The good tree produces fruit and, it's, and it blesses. And the, and, and the bad tree produces bad fruit and it withers and dies. And then he goes on and he ends this with these comparison of these two houses. From the outside in a 75 degree sunny warm day, they look the same. But when the storms and the winds and the waves of life began to crash against them and the streams began to rise up and the rains come down, they tell a completely different story. What's interesting to me is throughout this chapter 7, there's an option A and an option B, but there is no option C. And the reason why there's no option C is because there's no middle ground when it comes to these issues. And what happens is, is that we, humanity, we love middle ground. We love option C. Let's just talk about it. It's just us for a minute. We love option C. We love to go, well, God's way seems a little strict, and it seems a little harsh, and it seems a little... I don't know. And, and I know I don't want to do what the devil's doing, right? Because I want to be, you know, at least have some type of representation of holiness and purity in my life. And so why don't we just kind of combine the two? And what we typically do as Christ followers is we take God's word in one hand, we take our experiences in another hand, and we kind of amalgamate them and put them together, and we come up with our own little form of Christianity, our own little form of Christ followership. It's a dangerous, toxic mess. That quite frankly, Scripture never gives any, pro, any, any type of, of opportunity for. Jesus says that there's two masters in this world. There's God and there's Satan. There's good and there's evil. There's right and there's wrong. There is no middle ground. And that gray area that we like to have as middle ground does not exist when it comes to morality and life and living. Now, it exists at Baskin-Robbins, and thank God for it, right? The 39 flavors. Can I get a witness? Can I get a holler out? I'm telling you. It exists at Roberts. Go by every day, and I see the flavor of the day, and I get excited or deflated because my life kind of rises and falls on, oh, I don't really like that. Ooh, caramel cashew. I'm stopping by. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can be blessed. Go to Roberts right down the road. 
These two, this parable has these two houses. The house simply illustrates life. It's what it stands for. And this parable storms talk about the, stru- the trouble and the problems that are going to come in every one of our lives. And the foundation, that's the key. That's the key to dealing with storms. Now I want to give you three constants out of this parable that are just kind of observations, if you would. But they really tell a good story about these two houses, these two ways of living. The three constants are this. First of all, hearing. They both hear the same teaching and instruction. Jesus says they both hear the same teaching and instruction. It's not the teaching and the instruction. It's not God's word that's amiss in this situation. Secondly, they're both building a home. Both of them are building the same structure. And from the outside, it looks fine. I mean, it's the same house. You know, it's, a, it's, it's the same basic floor plan. It's the same basic elevation. It, it, it meets code and kind of works in the neighborhood. And storms, there are the same types of storms. They're experiencing the same storms in life. The, the, the winds blow against the house, the rains come down, the streams go up, and it beats against the house. But there's three obvious differences in this, in this parable. First of all, the doing. What is heard and applied. The doing, what is heard and applied. The teachability factor. And I, let me talk about this just for a second. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not what we see, it's not what we feel, it's what we know according to God's word, that's faith. And the more that we hear God's word taught and the more that we read God's word, the more our faith is built. But James tells us that faith without works is dead. Just to have spiritual knowledge doesn't do anything in my life, but I have to have the faith which comes from the teaching of God's word accompanied or with, it's kind of like the sweet and sour, I have to have that, all goes back to food, I have to have those things together and they make the winning combination of faith and works. Because if I just believe but I don't have action on my faith, my faith is dead, it's of no good. But if I have faith and I believe in God and I walk it out, that's what I'm supposed to, that's where the benefits come from. But the differences of these two is that they're both hearing the same message but they're not doing what they're told. It reminds me of church. I sit around and I look at people all the time. And here's the deal is, look, you don't have to like me. You can disagree with me. I'm not the end all, be all, but God's word is. And, and you hear the same message. You hear the same teaching. You read the same Bible. But the outcomes in people's lives are vastly different. Can I tell you why? It's teachability. It's teachability. It's the ability of someone sitting there with a Bible in one hand and with a pen and and paper in the other, and they're downloading the truth. Because some of you have already checked out on me because you said, I know the story. The wise man built his house upon the rock. wise man built his... Rains came down and the floods came up. Okay, I've already heard the story. I got it. I did too. But here's the deal. Are you living it? Are you applying it? Are you pushing back and going, okay, I'm 35, how does this look in my life? I'm 25, how does this look? I'm 55, how does this look? What kind of foundation, what kind of house am I building? What does my life look like? How does it work? Because I'm going to tell you the difference of the people that walk out of this room today is not what they're hearing, it's what they're doing. Ten years down the road, when the winds and the waves and the storms of life come into your life, How do we know if you're listening? How do we know if you're applying? I'll tell you if you're still standing when the storms pass. Second difference is foundations. 
They're completely different foundations. And, and it's different soils. It's, it's this life, basis for life and living. And, and we've been talking these past couple of weeks with these parables that soils represent life. That that's where everything comes out of the ground. And so these two different foundations that are completely below the surface, that are completely out of eye view, they tell a totally different story. Are you building your life on the rock, which is a representation of God, all throughout scripture, we see that he hides me in the cleft of the rock. That he, that, that he said, I will build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. it, it the, the rock is the firm foundation. It's the sure foundation. It's the, the way to do it. And although it's not seen, it's the most important part of the structure. Because if there are cracks in the foundation, it's going to fall apart. If there's a problem with the foundation, I don't care how beautiful the marble tile is on the second floor. It's going to come crashing down. If there's problems with the soil, there's problems with the ground, there's problems with the foundation where you built this, this structure. I don't care how many car garage, I don't care how big the pool is, I don't care how many bedrooms, I don't care how tall the cathedral ceiling is, I don't care how wide the crown mold is, it's going to come crashing down. It's not what we see, it's what we don't see. And the other difference is the outcome. They're completely different outcomes. Look like the same house, same neighborhood, looks like it on the surface, but when the rains come down and the winds blow against the house and the streams rise up, when all of that clears and the sun comes out, we see two totally different stories. So how do you storm-proof your life? Because there's no such thing as storm-free living. You know that, don't you? You cannot prevent storms from coming to your life. Well, let me give you some storm facts just to kind of set this up before we kind of land the plane this morning. First of all, storms know no boundaries and they play no favorites. When you're talking about storms, you're talking about tornadoes, when you're talking about crazy storm patterns, they know no boundaries and they play no favorites. They'll happen anywhere, whenever they want to. There's really no rhyme or reason and there's no way of stopping them. Secondly, storms are neither a sense of justification or condemnation. Contrary to popular opinion, storms are neither a, a, a source of condemnation or justification. Because you're going through a storm does not mean you're doing something wrong. Because you see somebody's life that's under attack by a storm of life doesn't mean they've done something wrong. Nor because you haven't gone through a storm and because you haven't had a, had a test in your marriage or in your home or in your business doesn't mean that you're okay. Do you understand? It just means that the storm hadn't passed by your way yet. Oh, great. I shaved my legs for this, right? I got up this morning and I'm listening to right. Storms come in all shapes and all sizes and from every direction. They just pop up. The wind is wicked, man, and it comes from every direction. And you've got to be prepared. It comes in all shapes and all sizes and every direction. Storms reveal the depth of preparation. What a storm will do will reveal the depth of preparation. It will reveal whether or not what the kind of foundation, what kind of preparation has been done, what's happened in someone's life. Storms expose our weaknesses. When storms come through our life, storms happen in our life. They begin to expose the weaknesses of our marriages, our homes, our parenting, our, our, our business uh, sense, our, our, our faith in Christ, our, our, our passion for God, our things for God. Because storms are going to come and they're going to expose really where you are. The good news is, though, is that all storms can be overcome. You can make it through the storms. Storms can be overcome. So how do you storm-proof? How do you overcome storms in your life? Well, just like the news, just like the weatherman, just like John Milan, Jesus is providing us a warning and instruction for these storms. Let me help you with a couple things. First of all, when you're building the house of your life, make sure you get the right blueprint. 
Make sure you get the right blueprint. Make sure you get the right design. Make sure you're downloading it as a creation from the creator, from God's word. The Bible says be a doer of God's word. Be a doer of his word. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I know I never get into your kitchen, but I'm going to get into your kitchen just for a few minutes this morning. Here's the problem. We listen to the word and we think because I sit here by osmosis, my life is going to be better, going to be changed. No. If you just hear the teaching, but you don't change your life, you don't, you don't change your trajectory, you don't make tweaks to your life and tweaks to how you do things. If you just listen to the word, that's not going to change. If you just listen to teaching, that's not going to change you. You just listen to preaching. I don't care if you listen to preaching 24-7. You're not going to get it by osmosis. The only way to take this truth of God's word and the teaching of God's word and make it work in your life is to walk it out. That's it. The only way to change your life is to take God's word and put God to the test and try and see. The only way to make the difference is to be a doer of the word. Make sure you're getting the right blueprint. Make sure you're, 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 you're with the right word. Growing up in church, especially in a Pentecostal church, like we believe that, that the same God of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is alive today and didn't die with the death of the apostles... What happens is, is that sometimes we can build our theology, our thinking of God, our attitude towards God. We can build that upon our experience. And can I tell you how dangerous that is? To build your theology of God on your own experience. Your experience should confirm the word of God, but it should not be the basis of how you live and think and move and have your being. The Bible says that in him we live and we move and we have our being. Not in our experiences, not in our ideologies, not in our downloaded truths, but in God we live, we move, we have our being. While we go everything back to God's word, what does God's word say? Not what do you think, not what do I think, not what does the denomination think, and nothing against any of those things, but what does God's word say? And here's the reality of this. If we will go back and say, what does the Bible say? And that's what I'm going to do. Or that's what I'm not going to do. This would be much, much, much simpler. What complicates it is that we begin to try to convolute it by our own experience or by our own ideologies or by, well, I heard this and, well, I think this and, 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 and here's this and, and, and here's that. And, and, and can I tell you, make sure you got the right blueprint. Make sure you're reading from the right book. Make sure your blueprint isn't your experiences. Make sure your blueprint isn't just what you're hearing on Sunday morning. Make sure your blueprint is God's word. That's it. Do you you understand that? And we nod our head and go, yes, but do we really read the book? Do we really read the book? Some of us are Christ followers and we don't even bring it to church on Sunday. Do you really read the book? Do you really download the truth? Do you really lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you would fall? That's the key. That's the difference that he's talking about. Because storms are going to come. Life's going to happen. It's going to rage. It's going to blow. The waters are going to come up. It's going to happen. And you can't be like Pat and go get in the storm cellar and just duck and cover. And oh, when it's over, when it's over, when it's over. There's a way to live life that makes it through the storm that you sleep in your bed at night and you go to sleep and you get up the next morning in your house because your house is not built upon you. Your house is not built upon your experience. Your house isn't built upon a person. Your house is built upon God and upon his word. Second way to stormproof your life is to beware of foundational cracks. 
We're imperfect. We're not perfect people. We're going to make mistakes. But beware of foundational cracks. If you see a big crack in the basement, don't go, I'll deal with it later. No, it's going to deal with you. Nobody's going to see it. Got a big dinner party. I'm telling you, when the water comes in, it's going to come up. It's going to seek its own level. It's going to seek the lowest plane. And when, he talk, when we're talking about this, stop excusing disobedience. Stop excusing disobedience. All of what I'm talking about today is completely internal. It's completely personal to you. No, we don't really know any of this until after the storms come through. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. Period. It's a declarative statement. Whoever confesses and renounces him will find mercy. He who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses his sin and renounces them, repents of them, will find mercy. Now, you don't have to confess it to me. I don't need you to. I don't want you to. I'm not worthy of that. Confess it to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he's our great high priest, that we can boldly go to the throne of grace and obtain mercy at any time with any need in our life. And that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single time. Doesn't matter if you just showed up there 30 minutes earlier. He's still there. He's faithful and he's just. Not because you are faithful, but because he is faithful. Not because of your righteousness, but because of his. But I'm going to tell you something. If you and I don't deal with foundational cracks in our life, even if we began with the right foundation, we allow things to get in there, we allow things to begin to sin to get into our life, it'll ruin us from the inside out. It, 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 it will ruin our lives from the inside out. Let me, let, me, let me explain this. And it kind of goes back to this whole thing I'm talking about, about go back to God's word, not to your experience. And your experience should confirm God's word. Um... But you shouldn't build your theology on your experience because we are emotional beings and there's sometimes we emotionally feel things and it's not God, it's just bad pizza, right? Make sense? It's indigestion? Really. I know people that just, they just go left and right and here and there and they're so emotionally volatile. And they serve God, they're in church, they're members of a church, but at the end of the day, you cannot trust your own emotion. You cannot trust this flesh and blood. It will rise and it will fall. We all have feet of clay. So what's, what's the use? Well, we go back to God's word. But here's what I see young adults doing before they get married. They make this statement. Well, you know, I know what the Bible says about premarital sex and sex outside of marriage. But I really love this person. And I just want to check out and make sure the sexual chemistry is good. I want to make sure they're good in bed before we get married. Because I don't want to spend the rest of my life with someone that is... And I would ask you, where does that come from? I can tell you where it comes from. Right up here. Right up here in your mind. You've seen something. You've heard something. It's dropped a thought. You've kind of processed it. You've kind of put your little Oprah spin on it. And you've kind of downloaded it into your life. And you just kind of try to find your own little place in Scripture. And maybe you're here today and you woke up in somebody else's bed. And I'm right all up in your kitchen, 4 a.m., rattling pots and pans. And singing, right on King Jesus. I don't know. But I'm telling you, you're wrong. Not because I say you're wrong, but because the book says it's wrong. If we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and we lean not to our own understanding, that's when God will have his way in our life. That's when we'll storm-proof our life. That's when that will happen. I see people all the time going, well, you know, man, I know I'm supposed to tithe. I know this is what the Word says. But at the end of the day, I just... Uh, 
Again, what does his word say? Not what does I say, not what does the church say. What does his word say? Just do it. Well, I, I know, man. And we go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I'm just saying. Storms are going to happen in life. And you may deal with foundational cracks. And they can be overcome. But only if you can. That foundational cracks is a disobe- is a crack is a disobedience to God. It's sin in your life. And when sin comes in your life, you have a choice. You're either going to conceal it. And if you do, you will not prosper and move forward. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when we have sin in our life as a Christ follower, God does not hear our prayer. The only prayer that he hears is a prayer for repentance. And you wonder why God's not hearing your prayers. And you wonder why God's not changing things in your life. And you wonder why you are where you are. And you wonder why you struggle. And you wonder why everything's falling apart. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. At the end of the day, you have had this toxic mix of your experience and God's word and you have began to just allow yourself to believe the lie and have your pet sin and just keep living and living and living but God's not mocked whatever man sows that's what he's going to reap and that foundational crack is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until there's a storm that will come through your life that will expose it in front of God and everybody God can I tell you this when I deal with people that have gone through like a, a, a an adulterous affair when they go to that point of having an adulterous affair, that's not the first time. That's not, the, that's not when it began. It, it didn't begin at the office. It didn't begin that, for that time that they got it. That's when it got exposed. But if you were to follow the breadcrumbs all the way back of Hansel and Gretel, whoever it is, you'd find it started way back here into some thoughts in the heart. This is the reason why the Bible says, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. And typically before it gets here, it comes in right here. Or right here. We begin to see things. We begin to hear things. We download those thoughts. And they rattle around our brain for a while. Then they make their way down into our heart. And out of our heart, we begin to act and live. Foundational cracks. It didn't happen way out here. It happened right here. And it happened right here. Before it ever became a reality. And before it ever gets to here, when it comes into here and it comes into here, that's when the Holy Spirit's going, Hey, McFly, wake up, wake up. Bueller, Bueller, anybody home? Get your head in the game. Get your head in the book and look at this. This is not right. This will destroy your life. This will destroy your marriage. This will destroy your kids. This is going to destroy your future. Stop. Warning, warning. The tornado. Sirens of life have gone off and the storm warnings. There's a storm approaching. I mean, you're watching your news and all of a sudden it's interrupted. And John Milan's on there going, there's a warning coming. There's a storm coming. Take cover. And you just keep walking and walking and walking and going, I'm okay. I've been doing this for quite some time. Nobody sees what I'm doing. Nobody knows what I'm doing. I'm just kind of doing this. Because I'm telling you all along the way, listen to what I'm saying. Some of you, I'm talking right to where you are because this is exactly where you're living. This is another one of those tornado sirens going off in your life. Listen, it hasn't gotten to there yet. And that's when it's going to be exposed. That's when the house is going to come crashing down. But God gives you grace all along the way to make it right. And you crash through those Holy Ghost barriers. You crash through the the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You just keep pushing against it. And your heart grows harder and harder and harder to soon you don't feel it. And you've crossed the line so many times that you don't see the line anymore. I'm telling you, the storm is going to come. You can't help that. Because the Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. 
beware of the foundational cracks. The next thing you do is build your life. Build your life. Believe that obedience brings blessing. Believe that obedience brings blessing. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture. I want to talk about this for a second. James chapter 1, verse 25 says this, But a man who looks intently into the perfect law, that's God's word, that gives freedom, and he continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it. That's the operative word in the phrase. That's the operative phrase in this whole thing, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and he keeps doing this. He keeps sowing this. He keeps acting upon this. He's, this is a discipline that he has in his life. And he doesn't forget what he's hearing based on God's word. But he does it. He will be a blessed man. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22 through 24. The Bible gives us the, the blessing of Caleb's life. Because Caleb was one of the ten spies that believed that God could help Israel. When they came out of the captivity of Egypt in the back, way back in the book of Exodus. That God could do what he said he could do. And that they could overcome the enemy. But the people were too afraid. They were too scared. They, they, so, so God said, fine, let them die in the desert until the younger generation comes up. And when the younger generation comes up, then they'll go in and take the land. And so the word of the Lord is being decreed upon who will be the inheritance of the land. And here's what it says about Caleb. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22 through 24. Not one of the men who who saw my glory in the miraculous signs that I performed in Egypt and in the desert, who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will see the land that I promised uh, on the oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. This is what God says. Verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, and he follows me wholeheartedly. Leans upon God's word so heavily that if it were to move, it'd fall. I will bring him into the land that he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I do not mean to be prideful or boastful, but I want to talk. Because there's a lot of young adults and young people in, in our church. And, and I want to say, say just a couple things that, uh, how do I say this? I, 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 I'm saying this not for my benefit, but for your benefit. Okay? And here's the deal. When you follow God's word, and you don't dilute it, and you don't convolute it, and you don't toxically mix it with your experiences and your ideologies, you follow it chapter and verse. Palms up. Lean so heavily against God's word that if it were to move, you would fall. There is a divine blessing that comes with that. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't ever struggle. But what it does mean is that God will divinely bless you in your life. Because there's a lot of people that believe God's word, but they don't step out in faith and act upon it. They stay on this side of the river. They get to the river, they see the promised land, they know what God can do, and they see it, but they're just too fearful to say, I'm going to take that step forward and I'm going to follow God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to leave the comforts, I'm going to leave this, and I'm going to follow God. And, and I want to make a statement that I do not mean to sound arrogant at all, but I'm telling you, I am a blessed, blessed, blessed man. And the reason why I am is not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm righteous. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not because I'm good looking. And yet you laugh. It's for one reason. Because as a young man, I heard the teaching of God's word. And I made a decision in my heart that I would palms up serve him. That I wouldn't care what the world thought. I wouldn't care what the world said. 
I wouldn't care what their ideologies of success was, that I would follow him. And that to the very best of my ability, I would live life for the audience of one. And that I really took the Bible at its core of what it is. And I look now, I'm 38 years old, and I look and I see the blessing of my wife. I see the blessing of my children. I see the blessing of all the things that God's given me from a home to vehicles to finances to opening up doors um, to go places and see things and experience things that don't cost me or the church anything. Um, And I just step back and I go, wow, I'm not this good. I'm not this smart. I couldn't have put all this together. And I remember back when I started in high school. And I remember walking, because it started way, way, way back. It didn't start in college. It didn't start when I became an adult. It started way back I gave my life to Christ. My niece that's here for two weeks, my brother's daughter, she told me she just, she just, she's going to the same junior high now. She's going to the high school. We all went. She said, you know, Pastor, she, not Pastor, she said, Uncle Aaron, I, um, uh, you know, I'm a part of Partners in Christ. Partners in Christ is the junior high ministry that when I was a kid, I was a part of starting. And it's still, it's a Bible club on that campus. It's still happening today. She said, let me show you my yearbook. Let me show you where I'm at. She said, I'm going to be going to Southside next year. And, and there's still a Partners in Christ there that I was in part of with some other students to start. And it brought me back in my mind when I remember my first day at high school, at Southside High School. I walked in and there were lockers along this side. The library was right here connected to two wings of the school. There was nobody in the hallway. And I remember having this conversation with the devil. I know in the next three years, you're going to try to just kill, steal, and destroy me. But I make a promise today in this hallway. I will meet you here in three years. And when I meet you here in three years, my virginity will be intact. I will not touch alcohol. I won't do drugs. And I will live a life for God because that's what his word demands of me. Now, you have to understand, I wouldn't plan on being a preacher at this time. At this point in my life, I just want to go to the University of Arkansas, call the hogs, get a business degree, drive a BMW, live in a half-million-dollar house, and be fat, nasty, loaded, and go to church. That was my idea. <laughs> it, it wasn't this. <laughs> right? So don't go get these ideas. Oh, at a young, tender age. No, no, no. I'm telling you, I was about spinning wheels and making deals. And three years later, I stood in that same hallway, and I said, done. Done. And I'm telling you, I'm living a life today because of the blessing of obedience. And I want to say this to those of you that are young in this room. You cannot outgive God. If you will follow him with all of your heart, if you will lean to him with all your understanding, if you will trust him with everything in your life and shut out what the world says success is and shut out what they say is and the statuses and the homes and shut it all out. And don't dilute it by your experience and don't try to convolute it by this and that and mingling in with sex and drugs. And I'm telling you, listen to me, you will be blessed beyond measure. You will be blessed, shake down, pressed down and running together. God will bless you. I'm telling you, resources will run you down and tackle you on your back. God will bless you with the wife or with the husband, with the children, with the home. Some of you are here today and you are struggling and you're wanting the kid thing 
everything and, and you're married and you want to have kids. I'm telling you, trust in God with all of your heart. Obedience brings blessing. Some of you are here and you go, man, I'm a young adult and I want to marry a man or woman of God. Trust him with all of your heart. Shut out what the world says. Some of you are saying, man, I'm a young businessman and I'm trying to spin wheels and make deals. And I'm telling you, it's tough out there. And the things they ask you to do and the pressures, go back to what his word says. Look at the life of Daniel. Obedience brings blessing. That's the key. I'm telling you, that's, that's, that's the pearl of great price. That God wants you to win. That God desires you to win. And when you will live life in such a way, he will shine down upon you. And he will, he will shut the mouth of the devourer. He will, every, every weapon formed against you will not prosper. And, and, and that he will bless your steps. That's what Paul means in the book of Romans when he says that the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of God. And I say that because I'm not perfect. And I say that because I'm telling you, the longer, when I was 21, I would tell you how to live life and how everybody should be like me. At 38, I just want to get a little quieter. Because <laughs> I got feet of clay. I'm not perfect. But I'm telling you, God's word is. Build your life. Build your life with confidence that God will not leave you nor forsake you. Build your life with confidence that he who this began a good work in you will be favored to complete it. Build your life with confidence that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Build your life with confidence that God, though the way be rough and the way be smooth, that God can, God can make the rough ways uh, uh, smooth and he can, make, he can make the narrow ways straight and that God can be with you. Whether David says, whether I make my bed in hell or I descend to the heights of heaven, God is there. Wow. The last thing is, in this house of your life, do routine maintenance. Do routine maintenance. Stop believing that disobedience is acceptable. Stop believing that your ideologies are, are there with God. Stop convoluting God's word. Listen, you can walk out of this room. I don't mean to be arrogant. You can walk out of this room. You can cross your arms and say, I don't know if I believe it. I think he's fanatical. I think he's crazy. That's fine. Sit back and watch my life be blessed. Sit back and watch the other people whose lives be blessed. I'm not saying that my confidence is in me. My confidence is in the Lord. But I'm telling you, if you will not allow disobedience to be acceptable in your life, God will begin to bless you. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities or your sin or your disobedience have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. You want to know why prayers aren't answered? Because there's junk in the life. You want to know why God's not hearing it? Because there's things in here. You want to know why God's not blessing you the way he is somebody else? Because I'm telling you, they've downloaded the book, God's word, and they lean upon it so heavily that if it were to move, they would fall. So which builder are you? You don't get to be option C. You're either the wise builder or the foolish builder. I know which is the obvious, right? But you're either one or the other. But which are you? Because you know. You can fool me. I'm going to shake your hand, say, God bless you. Have a great day. When I get done today, I'm telling you, I'm having like fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm going to play golf. Life is going to be good. But what builder are you? What does your foundation look like? That's the thing that you see that nobody else sees. That's what you know that nobody else knows. You know what's under the floors. You know what's under the subfloors. You know what's lurking deep down in the basement. And are you ready for the storms in life? Because they're coming. Father, I thank you for your word.